you open your Bible, please, either to the last book in your Bible or the next to the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation. You say, why do you say next to the last book? It's the last book. Ah, some of your Bibles have the book of concordance. That's right. So don't go through your concordance tonight. Go through your Bible. Revelation chapter number 20. I'm thrilled to be here. It's been a joy. I appreciate your pastor. We have wonderful fellowship. He knows all the good restaurants. Praise God. That's the only reason I come. That's it right there. But really, I appreciate you guys so much, and I'm thrilled to be here. Let me encourage you. Somebody that didn't come, invite them again, please. Make the effort. Don't quit. Don't just surrender them to hell. No. Make that last effort. That could be it. in somebody's eternal place. Revelation chapter number 20. I'll begin reading with verse number 1. John said, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up a seal upon him. He should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he should be loosed for a season. Arnold Toynbee was a great historian, and he made a statement. He said, we're moving rapidly toward the awesome end of history. The Bible says someday history will end. Someday a mighty angel will put his foot on sea, on the land, and say time will be no more. What's going to happen in the awesome end of history? My friend, basically, it ends in a time of judgment, a time every unsaved person comes, stands alone before Jesus Christ, is eternally condemned. That is the awesome end of history. Christians don't judge, but that's about a thousand and seven years later, earlier, we stand before Christ, not for salvation, for rewards, for serving him and loving him. But what's going to happen in the awesome end of history? Number one, first of all, the reality of Satan. Look at that verse again. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 20. It says, look at verse number three. What's the personal pronouns, please? Number one, the devil is a person. And cast him in the bombless pit. Shut him up. Seal his seat upon him. That he should deceive the nations no more. Till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a season. The Bible is emphatic and dogmatic. The devil's a person as real as you are and as real as I am. He is so real. Jesus Christ talked to him. He was not hallucinating. No, the devil is a person. But the main thing tonight, number two, the program of the devil. What is the devil trying to do? You say, ho-hum, so what is a person? No, my friend, don't miss it. The devil has a program. That program involves you, look in your Bible, at verse number 3. It says, you should <clears throat> deceive the nations no more. What does that tell you? The devil's a deceiver. Look in your Bible. Verse number 8, the same thing. Uh, uh, verse number 8, it says, he should go out to deceive the nations. Look at verse number 10. The devil that deceived them. All down through the centuries, from the Garden of Eden till tonight, the devil is called the great deceiver. Brother Mark, you say, what would he want to deceive me about? Your Bible tells you, the God of this age, that is Satan, have blinded the minds of them that believe not. Here it is, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Please understand that. 
Satan doesn't care how good you are, how moral you are, if you're a baptized church member of an independent fundamental Baptist church, as long as he can blind you to the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? I'm so glad tonight in the book, we've got the divine definition of the gospel. That's the one that counts. God's definition. Not what it sure says about going to heaven, what God says about going to heaven. Here it is. Paul said, I deliver unto you, first of all, the gospel, how that Christ died for our sin, according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the scripture. Number one, the gospel is found in Jesus Christ and nothing else and no one else. That divine definition, three times he mentions Christ. On the cross, he paid for your sin and my sin, the sin of the entire world. That means everybody goes to heaven. No, no. The Bible says, as many as <clears throat> received him. What does that mean? There must come a time in your life when you acknowledge your sin. You realize you cannot work on or by your way to heaven. By an act of faith, you ask him into your heart to be your savior. Now, not my friend. It's time and place. Bible, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. You don't grow into it. You don't learn about it. <coughs> it's a decision you make at a definite time. Now, think back. I'm not talking about baptism, church membership, confirmation. You point to a time in your life, you know you were a sinner, heading straight for the gates of hell. By an act of faith, you invited Christ into your heart. Apart from that, my friend, I must be honest. You're helpless and hopeless on the way to hell until you do accept Christ. What does the Bible say? He that believeth on him is not condemned. Hear it. He that believeth not, get it, is condemned already. Oh. I heard people say, on judgment day, you stand before God. If you reject Christ, then you're condemned. That's a lie. No. The sentence is carried out then. But you're condemned tonight as you sit there. We're condemned already. If you never accepted Christ, nothing else you have to do. Right now tonight, you're on the four-lane fast lane into a place called hell. Now, have you made that decision to accept Jesus Christ? The program of the devil. I was preaching in Pennsylvania, and uh, a wonderful church, wonderful revival. And a young man visited that was going to seminary there, a good seminary there in, in Philadelphia. And he got there, and his, his buddy, he was visiting, but his best friend went to that church. And so they met, and uh, they're sitting together. He said, you mind if I sit here? Well, he said, uh, yeah, go ahead. He said, I have an unsaved with me. The service started. After it started, the unsaved friend came in. Wasn't a seat near those people. He said, on the other side. That night, our priest gave the invitation. The young man that was a friend got in the aisle, headed forward to get saved. The guy over here turned the guy he was with and said, Hey, uh, let me out. I want to go show my friend how to be saved. He said, no. I wait. I said, that's my friend. I'm going to show him how to be saved. The guy said, no. He said, why not? He said, I want you to show me how to be saved. He said, okay. Got your Bible, come down front, went in the side room. And how can I help you? I want to get saved. You what? I want to get saved. Tell me about it. He said, I've been going to church all my life. So I graduated from Pillsbury Baptist Bible College in my third year in the seminary out here. He said, somehow all these years I missed it. It was not till tonight when I heard that man preach. I realized I was a sinner on my way to hell. He said, I want to get saved right here, right now. You say, Moran, that's unusual. No. Judgment day. 
Matthew 7, Jesus Christ. Get the first word. The first word, many. Not a handful, not two or three. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then when Jesus said, I'll confess unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. Wake up. Every activity they were involved in could only happen in a fundamental Baptist church. They didn't go to hell from a modernist church. They went to hell from a fundamental Bible preaching church. Lord, Lord, they called him Lord. They realized Christ was divine. Liberals say he was a good man. No, these people had good theology and went to hell. Lord, Lord, number one. <laughs> Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? That word prophesied means what? Witness. Who goes witnessing? The liberals? No. Who does that? Fundamentalists. These folks went out and knocked on other people's doors. and They themselves weren't saved. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name... Cast out devils, they're going to cast out devils. Some Sunday morning you backslide, you say, I'm going to church, which is a lie, but you turn your television on. A white suit casting out devils. You say, boy, he must be a great God. He may not even be saved. These people cast out devils, and they were not saved. Here it is, number four. I would say there are more people going to hell for this reason than any other. Being honest, Looking Christ right in the eye, and in your name, we've done many wonderful works. When you stand before God, there's a big scale there. God puts your good works on one side, your bad works on the other. Your bad works out where your good works should go to hell. Good, that's not in the Bible. That's fairy tale, fairy tale. It's those that accept Christ go to heaven. Those that reject Christ go to hell. These people are totally honest. They give their judgment day resume. But my friend Christ said, apart from me, I never knew you. Are you sure? And that first word, many will say to me in that day, not a few, a multitude. The devil's a great deceiver. The flesh is a deceiver. Don't you dare be deceived and wind up in the flames, my friend, when Christ has died for you. Number one, first of all, the reality of sanctum. Number two, I like this. This thrills my heart. Number two, the resistance of the saints. Look in your Bible at verse number four. I saw thrones. They set upon them. Judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, every week, every week. Some honest, sincere Christian comes and they said, Brother Mark, boy, I'll tell you, whew, boy. It's a tough day to stand up and live for God, I'll tell you. The devil's loose. Society is going to hell. But I'm going to tell you, it's hard to live for God. Stop. It's not hard to live for God. These people right here were beheaded. Because they live for God. It's not hard to live for God. I'll tell you what happened. We raised generation after generation after generation of spiritual wimps and sissies with no conviction and no backbone. That's right. That's right. A first century Christian would put us to shame with his boldness, his witnessing. 
And yet, my friend, we have all excuses. We don't need excuses. We need an anointing of the Holy Ghost to get out there and tell folks how to get saved. That's all there is to it. You see, here it is. Man, this verse thrills me. These people, because they believed in Christ, were willing to be headed. They lost their head over Jesus Christ. That's not a bad thing to lose your head over. That's right. He's a good thing to lose your head over, buddy, the Lord Jesus Christ. They say you can kill us, crucified upside down. That's what they did in Bible times to Christians. Crucify them upside down. Put them on the rack, pull them apart, burn them at the stake. Why? Because they were not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Shame on us today in America. Freedom of religion is still here. How long? I don't know, but it's still here. Yet we get embarrassed of witnessing. We get embarrassed about him. They might think we're a religious fanatic. They might think we're some cult. My friend, it's sad. It's sad. We'd rather somebody go to hell than be embarrassed about Jesus Christ and not tell them how to get saved. May God give us a holy boldness that will attack the gates of hell and boldly, powerfully share the gospel with, with classmates, co-workers, relatives, and friends. That's what we need in America tonight, a great anointing of the Holy Spirit. When that comes, there's a boldness in this matter of witnessing. Many years ago, I held a number of revivals in the Missionary Baptist Church at Franklin Temple, Missionary Baptist Temple in Franklin, Ohio. The song leader... His name was Brother Gentry, tall, handsome, good-looking, muscular, athletic. I'll just say this, the exact opposite of our song leader this week. Somebody say amen, all right? Anyway, really, Brother, Brother Gentry did a great job leading the singing, just a great job. And the Missionary Baptist Temple averaged 400 people, okay, Sunday morning. I went for revival. I went, I told you this. I think I'm going to tell myself again. I started on a Monday and went through Sunday. 400 people is what they ran. And that last Sunday, we had between 800 and 900 people there. And the slew of folks got saved. Brother Gentry did just a terrific God job leading the singing. The last Sunday night of that revival, I preached in the invitation. I saw a man and his wife get in the aisle and come forward. I saw something that happened in a Baptist church that scared me. Brother Gentry, out loud, in a Baptist church, actually said, glory to God. That scares me. Baptists don't talk that way. No, sir. No, sir. Then it got worse. He said, hallelujah, man. He's walking around the platform. He's clapping his hands. He's praising God. When the service ended, for I know what's going on, he ran up to me, threw his arms around me, and he's hugging me. Can I be honest? He wasn't my type at all. He just wasn't, okay? But here he is. He's hugging me. He's smothering me. He stepped back, and he's crying. But the Marquis said, the first couple got saved. It was my aunt and uncle. I've been praying for them 32 years, and tonight they got saved. That's the model line right there. That's what it's about right there. Who do you pray for? Who do you witness to? Well, I prayed for him. Nothing happens. I quit. There's no place to ever quit. Once they're in hell, it's too late. The gates are slammed shut. As long as they're this side of the gates of hell, pray for him. Witness to him. Try to get him to Christ. Because when those gates close, it's all weeping and wailing and flame and pain. Don't quit. Please, don't quit. I had a revival in, uh, in uh, 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 Montana. 
and uh, a man walked down the aisle and got saved. His wife come down behind him. She was saved, and she was praising God. She was almost Pentecostal. Yeah. And she came up to me and said, Preacher, that's my husband got saved. I've been married to him 47 years. Here's what she said. Preacher, every Sunday morning, every, every morning, every morning, not Sunday morning, every morning when the sun come up, I've been on my knees praying for him. Every revival this church has had in 40-some years, he's come one night to every revival. Said, Preacher, tonight he got saved. Then she said this. Thank God it was worth it. It was worth it. See, you guys want to see somebody saved and pay no price. Yeah. No sacrifice. No turning off the television and praying. No risking being made fun of by sharing. God give us a boldness, a drive, a, a, a burden. That's what we need. Tears. More concerned about eternal destinies than somebody's public opinion. The reality of Satan. Number two, the resistance of the saints. Number three, and I'm through, the realization of society. Now, what's going to happen in the awesome end of history? Look at your Bible. Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse number 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. I saw a great white throne, him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. Now stop. I'll explain that to you. The dead were judged out of those things according to their works. That does not refer to salvation. That refers to the degrees of punishment. There are degrees of punishment in hell. Christ told the Pharisees, you'll receive the greater damnation. Why? Because they read the Bible. Because they were religious. See, but the Bible talks about degrees of punishment in hell. No hell is good hell. Understand that. No hell is God only the flame. No hell is good hell. But my friend, if you hear the gospel, week in, week out, you go to the lowest, burning, hottest part of a place called hell. The Bible teaches degrees, you'll receive the greater damnation. You better think that through. You're faking it. You come to this wonderful church where the Bible's preached. You just don't go to hell. You go to the lowest part of hell there is. Because you've had opportunities some people have never had. And the Bible says this. When you reject Jesus Christ, you're guilty of what? Of carrying the blood of the covenant and unholy thing. That blood's not worth accepting. When you say, I don't want to get saved, what are you doing? The Bible says you're guilty of trampling, spiritually, trampling on the body of Jesus Christ. Number three, you're guilty of counting the blood no better than hog blood. That's heavy. That's heavy. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Put yourself in God's place. You let his son hang on the cross, bear the stench the horribleness of your sin. Then after he's died for you, you say, I don't want him. You spit in his face. You trample on him. You say his blood is worthless. Hey, if you, if, listen to me, if that was your son, how long would you put up with it? How long? You better wake up. If you're faking it, 
you'll be in the hottest part of hell forever because you rejected Jesus Christ. Now, the realization of society, two things that I'm through. Number one, you and I as believers will be right there. That's right. Not to be judged, no, as witnesses at the judgment. Is that in the Bible? Hear it. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ as Christians will rise to Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds together to meet the Lord in the air. Hear this phrase, sir, hear it. And so shall we ever, ever be with the Lord. Now, you and I as believers will be at the white throne judgment. Not to be judged as witnesses at that judgment. Now, question, what are you going to feel like? Wow. You're sitting back there all safe and secure in Jesus. All of a sudden, walking up and standing before God, be damned, is that man you worked before 30 years, never told him how to be saved. A relative, your own blood had flowed in their veins, but you never told him how to get saved. What are you going to feel like? Huh? God help us. It's not going to be a pretty day. It's not till after this that you're reading your Bible, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. At the white throne judgment, as sinners are judged, Christians will be sobbing. Christians will be, listen to me, listen to me. If you had the same compassion, the same concern, the same tears, now you have then, they might well get saved. We play our little game, and God help us. My grandpa lived next door to us when I was growing up. Didn't have a phone. One morning, uh, a man called up the message for Grandpa. About noon, it was summertime. Uh, the, the screen door was uh, there. And uh, Mom put her car pulled up next door in front of Grandpa's. She looked out the screen, and Grandpa opened the car door, walked around in the back of the car, failed to look, stepped out directly in the path of an oncoming car. The car hit him. He went up in the air. His head and shoulders. Mother screamed right out the door, got him in the ambulance, drug him off onto the curb, raced inside, and called. Got him from school that night. She met me at the back door. Said, son, your grandpa had a very serious accident. The doctor says he, he may not live. After supper, we'll go see him in the hospital. Mother and I are eating supper. The atmosphere is heavy, solemn, silent. We got halfway through the meal. All of a sudden, my mother gave a sob and just cried out. She said, why didn't I warn him? Why didn't I holler at him? Wake up. On that day, it's not going to be, oh, yeah, we heard that stuff before. No, no. Why, why, why? I called him friend. I lied to him. I wasn't a friend. Friends don't let friends go to hell without trying to get them saved. God, help us to stir our hearts. Even tomorrow night, bring some folks. They might find their savior. Number one, in the awesome end of history, the realization of society affects Christians. Number two, it affects unsaved people. Look at your Bible again as I close. Look at verse number 13. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. They were judged of a man according to their works. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Hear it. 
and whosoever was not found written in the book of life. You get your name in the book of life when you get life by, Jesus, by accepting Jesus Christ who was the Prince of Life. Unsaved people, I thought about this time and time again. On Judgment Day, a great line of unsaved people. On Judgment Day, Christ does not say, all right, all sinners go to hell. No! You'll come and stand alone before Christ, and that's not true. You'll be on your knees before Christ. As you're back there waiting, and you see person after person, and your time gets nearer and nearer, and your name is called, and you go up and get on your knees before Jesus Christ. As you kneel there, you see nail prints in his feet. You look up, you see the nail prints in his hand. Realize what a fool I was not to get saved. But that, my friend, is the awesome end of history. It's too late to get saved. But praise God, this is a day of grace. Somebody say amen. And if you want to get saved, you can get saved tonight. The greatest preacher I ever heard in my life was Dr. Hyman Appleman. Heard him many years ago tell a strange but true and documented story. The year is 1903. The place is Dover, England. A man's on vacation. Wakes up one summer morning for a beautiful day. The sun is shining. It's reflecting off the sea there. He said, I think I'll go for a walk down by the sea. The man goes down walking down the beach, enjoying the sight, the weather. And as he walks down the beach, all of a sudden, he trips and falls. Stands up and looks down and he realizes his foot has slipped through a huge link in a giant rusty chain the years before had been used to anchor ships. He tries to pull his foot out of that chain. It will not come. He grabs his leg and strains. It will not come. But just then he notices slowly the tide comes in and goes back out. The man says, if I stand here for a while, that cold water up above the the swelling will go down. I can get my foot out. And with no concern, the man stands there. Pretty soon, the water is up to his knee. He bends over, grabs his knee. He strains and pulls, but the foot remains firmly fast. He looks out. He sees two men fishing. Frantically, he hollers and yells and waves his hands. Two fishermen come. He explains the problem. Two big fishermen grab that man's leg and strain until it seems as if the bone itself will snap but they can't get it out. One minute away. About a mile, a mile down the beach, there's a blacksmith. I know the blacksmith can cut that chain. I'll run down and get him. He takes off down the beach. Continually, the tide rises higher and higher and higher. Pretty soon, he returns with the blacksmith. And the blacksmith's hand is a saw. The big blacksmith wades out in the water, gets on his knee. He starts sawing frantically upon that chain as he saw it. Grips in the sea. He works and labors and works and labors. Pretty soon, the man stands up. He says, sir, I'm sorry. That chain was made to hold huge ships weighing hundreds of tons. He said, I've done my best. To be honest, he said, I've not even been able to make a nick in that chain. He said, sir, there's no way I can cut that chain. And the man, what are you going to do? Stand here Round a fisherman said, wait a minute. I'll run down the beach. Get a doctor, bring him back. 
He'll amputate your leg. You'll be free. Takes off running down the beach. Slowly. The tide rises higher and higher and higher. Pretty soon he returns with the blacksmith. Now the water's high on his on the doctor. Now the water's high on his chest. The doctor inhales air into his lungs, plunges his entire body beneath the waves, and starts soaring frantically above that man's ankle. Time and time again, the doctor breaks the water, gasps for breath, goes back down. He works fervently. He works feverishly. He works on and on and on. And pretty soon, the doctor comes out of the water, gasping for breath. Faces a man. Said, friend, I'm sorry. The location of that ankle in the chain, he said, I've cut through the skin, cut through the sinew. He said, friend, I cannot get enough pressure to cut through the bone. I cannot help you. The doctor, the blacksmith, Two men walk back on the shore and watch. Slowly the tide rises higher and higher. Pretty soon, in desperation, the man tips his head back, keep his nose out of the water. They hear a loud, gurgling noise and stand there and watch as that man <laughs> drowns. That's exactly what judgment is like. On judgment day, I can't help you. A spouse can't help you. A godly pastor can't help you. Hear it. On judgment day, Jesus Christ himself can't help you. Friend, if you're not 100% sure tonight, I'm pleading with you. Tonight, you make certain that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you'll be safe in the awesome end of history. Will you bow your head for prayer, please?